Hello and welcome to Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. You're in for a spooky episode for October, and joining me tonight are Aesir Aesthetics and Sin from Sinclair Laura. Uh, hello and welcome to the podcast. How are you two doing? I'm good. Pretty good. Hi. 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 So Aesir, you're a norm. You're, you know, you've been here a couple of times by now, <laughs> but uh, Sin, you know, this is your first time. How does it feel? Wow. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Super cool. I listen to your podcast all the time. So this is actually really, really exciting. Oh, thank you. I listen to yours as well. Oh. <laughs> do you guys um, listen to my, do you watch my stuff too, Sin? No, no, never. I don't <laughs> even know you. Never even heard of you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So yeah, this episode tonight, uh, the topic was uh, partially inspired from your own interests, Sen. It's uh, horror, ooh, specifically for the game Outlast, which I hadn't actually played until recently. I just knew like very vague things about it, even though it's a very popular game. I, I don't know how I dropped the ball on it for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's been around for about a decade, and it's like one mm. of the scariest games out there. 2014, yeah. I think. I distinctly remember uh, because I was still riding high from MDs at the Dark Descent and I was looking for anything, anything that was even remotely like it. And then yeah. I saw the trailer for Outlast and I was like, oh my God, it's just like Amnesia. Except it's good. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. <laughs> Shots nah. fired. Nah, amnesia is good. Amnesia is good. I think Amnesia, uh, what was it? Birth? Rebirth. Rebirth. Yeah, I think Amnesia Rebirth was one of the first scary games I actually finished in my life. Because it wasn't that scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently the bunker is really, really good. The latest Amnesia game. Mm, cool. Sin, do you ever dream of being stuck in an underground World War One bunker haunted by a monster? No. Do you? <laughs> All the time. <laughs> like an everyday experience in the yeah. states you get used I, to it i wake up <laughs> i wake up screaming and it's like oh it's real life it's not i'm not in the bunker anymore <laughs> but yeah i was very impressed with outlast it's like the interactivity in horror makes it a lot scarier than it usually is just watching a movie where i can make fun of things it's like you know mm. I, I, I got jumped a couple times only a couple well, <laughs> uh, you know, probably more <laughs> than I'd like to admit. <laughs> yeah, I think the jump scares of this game have got to be one of the, some of the most effective jump scares I've experienced in my life. And that's coming Ooh. from someone who watches a lot of horror movies. But, uh, and uh, even though I played it a few times and I can navigate myself in the game, I think part of my brain blocked out a lot of it because I replayed it recently for this podcast. And I was still having jump scares because I didn't remember that things that happened were going to happen. And at some point, the experience became like too much again. <laughs> I'm like, I played this before. Why am I too scared to continue? <laughs> No, actually, interestingly enough, I was on vacation, so I was playing it on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun place to play a horror game. Yeah, yeah, it is. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's start generally and then work in the spoiler territory with an announcement later on so people can like get the vibe <laughs> and then get spoiled yeah. if they such is. Okay. Okay. Up sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Oh my god, yeah. Christopher Chris Walker? Yeah, Chris Walker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they start, that slow start does a lot for it. I think Outlast in general does really well with its pacing, which is why its horror is so good. But like the beginning, as you sneak around the property looking for an entrance with the knowledge as a player that you're in a horror game, you really feel like you're digging your own grave, which adds to the level of tension that's being developed. Because mm -hmm. you're like, mm -hmm. why am I doing this? Get back in the car, Miles. <laughs> go away. Go home. It's not He's a reporter. It. He has to do this, you know? <laughs> he does. Like, I have a deadline. I need to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's so funny. Like, the characterization that Miles gets, he's like the nitty gritty reporter out to uncover the corporate secrets of America, <laughs> you know? So, he's a fun yeah. character. Yeah. Um, on this topic of. Oh, it just flew out of my head what I was going to say. <laughs> It'll come back to me. Just let us know, you know, if it comes back. Hey, now. <laughs> hey, now. None of that. That's a very rude way of going about things. Uh, but no, yeah, but on the, on the characterization, um, I love how Miles, it's like, he's got a lot of attitude and stuff, but I, there's moments where Miles goes through extraordinary pain. And he's still like just crawling around in vents. And it's like, hmm, I don't think you be like physically able to do this right now <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, but, but like it, it's it's fine it's fine it's just like you're nitpicking and such um <laughs> i think it's really interesting uh did you guys ever play outlast 2 yes like See, i don't th i've seen the first little bit of it but that's uh yeah i think outlast 2 is a big step down from outlast 1 uh, i'd say it's a step to a the left or something. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems it's... much more actiony from what little I've seen. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> um, I feel like um, you can really feel the sort of the the scripting behind the scenes a lot more in Outlast too. It doesn't feel like uh, as much as you're just plopped down in an area and you need to progress. It's more just like mm -hmm. go here, go here, go here, go here. There's there's great moments in it. I really like when you're mm -hmm. in like the little village sections and you're running around and yeah. you go inside a shack and then you can just throw the deadbolt in and the <clears throat> the townspeople try to break in. But uh, the game felt a lot more on rails, I guess, than the first Outlast. Oh, definitely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Federal, the, it. Yeah, it felt a lot more like a regular scary game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it did the thing with the with the with the camcorder, where it's like night night mode, and I really like mm -hmm. that. You know, we can see yeah. in the dark. That's a good gimmick for this franchise to have. But I don't feel like it added all that much. Uh, I guess it went down that sort of found footage Blair Witch direction mm -hmm. a little bit, but yeah. um, I don't know. I don't feel it. Uh, it ultimately adds all that much to it. When, uh, especially because the first game really gets a lot of juice out of just plopping you down. And that's a, that's another thing I really love about the first game. It's just like, yeah, like there's, you know, you're just walking around. You have this big area to explore. And then you sort of, you know, you make your progress from one big area and you're right. You just dropped right into another one. And um, mm -hmm. so it's a lot of interesting set pieces. Like with, uh, is, is, is the doctor, you know, the doctor sequence? Traeger? Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a, like a fun little sequence. This is a sequence against the twins when we're thrown down. Uh, that um, <clears throat> after we've been shimmying across, uh, we fall down. Is it called the pit? Which uh, one? <laughs> do you mean the place where you get out of like Martin Father Martin's like old cell, and then the people are like talking about cutting you apart and eating your kidneys? Or <laughs> no, I'm I'm talking about the part where um, uh, they throw us down there specifically. And we're just oh, like, like there's an explosion and you fall. Is oh, is the there one? an explosion? Ah, uh, that might be. That might be. I don't know. Uh, anyways, I'm just saying. Uh, I like that the game has a lot of these sorts of different kinds of set pieces for us mm -hmm. to navigate through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's never a dull moment. Yeah, creativity and the backdrop of what you're running through is important. Mm -hmm. for, I, I think they keep it really fresh in Outlast. So, you know, you've got the sewers, the male ward, Traeger's little butcher shop, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I think is interesting, um, it, again, I haven't played Outlast too, so forgive me if I, like, make an assumption that's wrong. But, like, it seems like a lot more of it is outdoors 
outdoors. And I feel mm-hmm. like the outdoor yeah, yeah. segment of Outlast 1 was sort of weaker in the sense that it was really easy to waste all your batteries and it changed some of the tension. And like, yeah. while playing Whistleblower, I noticed that that outdoor sequence was bright where you couldn't use the night vision because it would go into the fog and blind yeah. you. So like, I think that the I think that a lot of Whistleblower had sort of like, it was made with feedback from the main game in mind. And I think that feedback might have transcended into some of uh, what was going mm-hmm. on in Outlast 2. I'm not sure how much, though, because if they're using big open fields with night vision again, obviously they went backwards in that. But, but yeah. I feel people yeah. generally prefer Outlast 1 to Outlast 2 from what I've seen. That's yes. what I've been told. Every time I bring up playing Outlast, everyone's like, well, don't play Outlast 2. You'll be disappointed. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd ever tell anybody not to play Outlast Two. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in it. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of good sort of uh, pagan cultists uh, in deep caves, and you're just like mm-hmm. walking through these deep caves. I think that's really good stuff. It just, like I said, it feels more on rails, and it's just mm-hmm. not as scary as the first one. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. wait. You're saying it's not as scary as the first one. I think the first Outlast is much scarier than the second one. Oh, really? I thought the second one was at least as scary as the first one. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> and now we've got uh, the Outlast Trials. Do we know? Are they? Go- they're probably going to make another single-player one, right? Well, the, the talk is that they are going to make Outlast 3, wherever right. it is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Is Outlast Trials a multiplayer thing? Or... Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's like a collaborative uh, puzzle solving in a, <clears throat> and like it's contextualized as like we're doing a psychological experiment on you and you have to like navigate through these different mm-hmm. um, sort of little diorama cities and such while being chased by the inmates. It's interesting, but I feel like with Outlast 2 and the Outlast Trials, they really haven't capitalized on what I think the greatest strength of the original Outlast is, which is um, this very sort of deep and detailed background lore because we're sort of, um, it does this thing where you're introduced in, into this world and it just seems like, you know, it's a kind of a heightened reality. The inmates are running the asylum and all of that, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> it doesn't look like a supernatural world. But then that's gradually sort of revealed with Project Wallrider. And um, Outlast 2, it just sort of throws that in your face right away. Uh, and the Outlast Trials, it's just like, I, I think it's, you know, it's, well made from what I've seen of it, but um, it's it, you know I don't think procedurally generated horror like that really works, especially when you do it uh, like as a collaborative game. Uh, so I would really like it if they did, um, you know, even just do like Project Wallrider, just do a game set during World War Two or whatever, uh, and you're like, hey, uh, this experiment we're doing here has gone wrong, so you're just one of the doctors and you have to make your way out or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Well, if yeah. you're one of the actual doctors, I hope you don't make your way out. <laughs> <laughs> you probably deserve it. <laughs> it. Definitely. Maybe it's like that time where uh, I was called in to evict that family. Remember, Sin? Oh my god, yes. That... And I didn't do it, and I let my boss do it instead, and that made me a hero. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Conscientious objector. <laughs> yeah, I stood on the sidelines like a coward. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um... Yeah, I was like, I was like twenty one. Don't send a twenty one. No, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. They were also gonna throw all of their stuff in the trash. Jesus, that's yeah. terrible. That's terrible. It was awful. I got to keep two boxes full of Legos. Oh my, oh god. my god, that's the that's the lesson that Asia came away with. <laughs> It's and like I was that like, meme with the guy looking at something and like the overarching theme going of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, I should probably try to track that family down, give the kid his Legos back. And I was like, but then I was like, well, you know, I could just keep this Lego. It's pretty good Lego. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, <Yeah>. sir. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm. You know, maybe that's the real. Maybe I'm the real monster here. Maybe Snail needs to re-educate you. Ooh, <laughs> maybe you get taken to the factory. <laughs> Six, two, one. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, do we want to maybe talk a bit about Project Wallrider? Sin, you're actually a uh, a uh, brain doctor, right? 
<laughs> you know, that's exactly. I'm also a heart surgeon. I'm a brain doctor, heart surgeon, lawyer. You're oh, wow. No, you're a behavioral guy, right? <laughs> yeah, I work in research, but like, yeah, not. I, I don't actually do the the oh. doctor things. <laughs> if I wanted to do a project wall writer in real life, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> it depends on how you want to go about it. Uh, right, definitely right. one of the things you need is a protocol, mm -hmm. which uh, denotes what you're doing and how you're doing it. Okay. And during our playthroughs, uh, we actually tried to find the protocol in the facility. And okay. uh, unfortunately, we were unsuccessful. Did you find the policy, though? <laughs> Gideon is like, what? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> I'll admit that. <laughs> No more, no more in jokes here, Sin. Yeah, no. We're guests. <laughs> We're guests. We must behave. <laughs> but yeah, do we maybe uh, want to talk a bit about Project Wallrider? It's been a while yeah. since I played the game, so maybe somebody else take the lead on that one. Um, well, essentially, what you're trying to do is create super soldiers with nanites and lucid trimming. Hmm. Very logical, normal thing to do. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the project is directed by a Nazi scientist. Very logical, normal thing to do. Hey, you know, <laughs> gotta, gotta use those guys for something, I guess. Oh, oh my god. god. Horror movie settings make do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but basically, yeah, you take, essentially what you do is you take unsuspecting subjects, which could be, you know, people who may not have a home or people who have mental health issues, and mm. you forcefully consent them for the project, and then you experiment on them by putting them into a thing called, by exposing them to a thing called a morphogenic engine, which the, involves like- The morphogenic ooze? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and that involves, you know, hormone therapy, uh, audiovisual therapy. Ooze, I'm sorry. <laughs> Acer, I'm talking, this is important. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> and uh, once the subject is, I guess, ready at certain stage, you put them in a morphogenic engine chamber and hook them up to the engine, where, at which point you inject nanites or something, I don't know, into them. And through lucid dreaming, they're able to control the nanite swarm and to mm -hmm. manifest the wall rider. Yeah. Very normal things. Super typical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's sort of interesting, like, playing through the game, because they come at it with, like, a lot of different, like, ooh, is it supernatural, like, Father Martin things? Or is it scientific, yeah. like Wernicke says? You know, and it's like, you know, they happened upon like the ability to induce hormone therapy in a human and have them become like nanite producers within their own cells. And then mm -hmm. from there, they manifested the first like iteration of the swarm and all of the Nazi yes. scientists were like, occultism, ooh, you know? <laughs> and like, it's just all downhill from there. But it's, mm -hmm. it's sort of interesting how they sort of layer in these ideas of like the human subconscious mind interacting with the nanite swarm and how like the overall like environment that it occurs in you know like nazi germany during, germany mm -hmm. during the holocaust or like an asylum where they just are actively torturing people you know it's yeah there's a lot going on with it that sort of bridges both it, it's very like natural philosophy like <laughs> pseudoscience occultism you know yeah and that's a good point you bring up because uh like you said father martin uh, doesn't see it as science. He thinks whatever they're doing, it's they're co contacting some supernatural entity. And he's not the only one. He kind of, more, more than one person believes that like something was waiting for us in the mountains and like they awoken something with the with this project. Yeah. yeah. Even Father Wernicke with like the last quote in Outlast 1, he like, he says, oh, you've become the host, which yeah. sort of goes against all of his previous ideas about how they created the nanite swarm just by doing these things to humans, you mm -hmm. know, like doing a Frankenstein, because it, yeah. if you can become the host of something, if that's integral to the success, and if that's related to the shroud from German folklore, and if Billy's like having contacts with these things and believes in the supernatural mysticism himself, then they probably, it seems very strongly that there is something out there, and Wernicke's like in denial, but yeah. Definitely, yeah. Well, that's something we talked about on our uh, podcast in the past, like how... Um, you know, because the project, quote unquote, succeeded, right? Mm -hmm. But only twice, once with Billy and once with Miles, and Miles wasn't even in the study. 
<laughs> so clearly, like I was thinking like, like my idea was like, if I look at this as a scientist, what's going on here is, yeah, Wernicke's thing kind of, again, quotes, works partially where he's like, if you expose a person to this traumatic event in certain circumstances, they'll control the, you know, the swarm. But this only happens in like one subject, Billy. And Billy is implied to be able to kind of to kind of have a psychic thing going on where he saw like Traeger's true self in his dreams or something. So, you know, we were thinking maybe the real thing that's happening is the project will work if you have an individual with some so, sort of psychic potential and you expose them to all these things that Wernicke is doing. But taking people off the street randomly will not work because they probably not don't have the psychic element going on. Yeah. And Billy Hope even has like this sort of like uniqueness in his place as a patient at the asylum. Because like, first yeah. of all, he's one of the few people with an outside connection while the others are like, quote unquote, undesirables without yes. families or people to care for them. But like Billy is there to get money for his mother who does yeah. care for him. And he even has the astounding last name of Hope, which like, Aww. I feel like it's very telling of like what they wanted to characterize him as before he became the host of whatever the swarm or wall writer is. So it's like, I think that there is something about, you know, the uniqueness of the individual mm -hmm. does change how they interact with the swarm. It's like, you can't just throw shit at the wall until something works, because everyone else just turns into, like, the variants, and then they have issues, you know? Yeah. Ooh, about how you like couldn't divorce the racism of the inherent like stories from like modern retellings because so much of how his writing is is based in like prejudice or something like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, Billy Hope Hudson or whatever his name was. Yeah, the guy that wrote the. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely. Yeah, Sophie mentioned it in a podcast. Uh, she did bring up his works. She knows more about it than I do. But yeah, she did make a connection. <laughs> well, that's because I, a true genius, is here. And let me tell you, William Hope, born March 2, 1955, is a Canadian actor best known for his numerous roles in the Alien and Alien vs. Predator franchises, portraying, portraying Lieutenant Scott Gorman in Aliens and Alien River of Pain and Xenomorphs and other stuff. So there's your connection. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're so wise, son. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you draw this knowledge from? Is it the higher plane? Is it's it the uh, wall rider? <laughs> first research on Google. I just literally typed it in right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As the browser is turned on. <laughs> the angel Gabriel has descended. <laughs> yes. Um. And another angel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sin can copyright claim the video. <laughs> All part of a nefarious plan yes. to take down the computing podcast. I say computing <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes. Five uh. D chess. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, what are your thoughts on Project Wallrider or like some of the occurrences that happened because of it? Sort of a, it's a very crazy game. And even in the game, they talk about how there's no like normal thing that happens to people. Besides the obsession with genital mutilation, that comes up a lot in the games over and over. But like, yeah. you know, everything else is pretty disparate. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm, I never given much thought to it i do think it's interesting um so we have um like chris walker uh mm -hmm. he was a former soldier yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he's like missing his nose. And so he, he just, he kind of looks like he has a, like a clown nose because he just has this giant red spot. Well, I think that's just you, Acer. No, I think I, <laughs> I, I I think this is a universal uh, perception. I think everybody agrees. No, I agrees. think you're you're just like because you recently watched uh, Twisted Metal the series, so you think of like Sweet Tooth. Ah, oh, I'm probably confusing him with uh, with Will Arnett. That's right. You know, Chris Walker, the guy who does magic tricks in Arrested Development. <laughs> I mean, illusions in Arrested Development. The voice Development. of BoJack Horseman. Wow. He, yeah, he voiced Lego Batman. Chris Did Walker. He really? <laughs> yeah, he's Lego Batman. That's insane. First try. Yeah, but um, <laughs> uh, the twins. Do we? Uh, do you guys remember what the backstory of the twins was? Mm. I'm not. Sh- do they have a file that you find on them? I think there was something. Uh, I'm trying to. Um, Let's go to the Outlast wiki. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, oh, I'd forgotten this because there's a lot of enemies whose job it is basically just to pursue us. So we have Chris Walker. Mm-hmm. The twins do the same thing. I mm-hmm. really like that they went the extra mile to characterize them very differently. So, mm-hmm. you know, you walk into a room, Chris Walker enters the room, and you know that if you get out of the wardrobe or the drawer, uh, not the drawers, <laughs> the, the closet or whatever you're hiding in, uh, he's just going to tear you to shreds. And mm-hmm. he's not really, you're just basically supposed to hide from him. What mm-hmm. I really like about the twins is that when they enter a room, they don't really slam doors. <laughs> They're really like gentle and normal yes. going about it. Oh, that's that's bad. Yeah, because that's an extra auditory cue we could use at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, they are. They're very calm. They're very chill. They're like, oh, well, we can't kill you yet. Father Martin said no, but when we will, we'll eat your liver. Okay. Yeah, and then they they don't even run after you. They just like walk they calmly walk. behind you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't need to run. <laughs> They're yeah. like those horror movie guys. You know that never run. They just walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still catch you in the end. I, I like the characterization. Like the characterization in Outlast is very on the nose in a lot of ways, but it does it to its like, um, it, it works really well, especially for a video game where interaction with something like it's better than not be subtle because then you can mm-hmm. miss things. But like mm-hmm. with the twins, the contrast against Chris Walker, like you said, works really well because it's a much different type of horror and it changes the inherent pacing of the scene. So you mm. you get like you know you learn how to interact with all of these different people and the twins have such an eerie atmosphere to them you know it's like it's like hunting big cat like big cats hunting you or something you know you know it's following you in the woods there's no way you're gonna outpace it you know yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah with yeah. Chris Walker you're always sort of just rushing or even when uh, when uh, is it is it Tiger Taggart. Traeger. Uh, Traeger. when they're chasing you you're kind of like running but with the twins. You can like see them and you just sort of, you're also just walking, but it's just like this long sort of, I'm, I'm not stressed. I'm not trying to, like, I'm trying to avoid them, but I'm playing the long game and I'm like, do I have time right now to go into this room and check if I can find some extra batteries or what have you? <clears throat> yeah. It's a very different kind of... The fact uh, that there's two of them works really well. You know, like a hunting pair. I think my favorite scene with them is that, like, really early on, you know, you're escaping the prison block. You're going past a bunch of windows. It's a long, narrow hallway. And you see one of them appear. And he's walking down towards you all confident. And if you back up far enough, the other one just stabs you in the back and you die. And it works really mm-hmm. well because, you know, you have to jump out a window and escape. But, like... Mm-hmm. it's just a really good introduction to how they work mechanically, you know, so that you know to always be looking out for the second one. Yes. And then it's like that whole fear of the unknown because, you, yeah, you can keep one of them in your your sights. But not both. (laughs) Not both of them. So now you need to turn around periodically and you're like a stressed little rabbit being hunted by a fox or something. Yes. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Who's the most dateable Outlast villain? (laughs) Oh, um, <laughs> most eligible bachelor. <laughs> uh, well, which, which one of the which? So, which I'm just ones? Going through everyone, and I just say can't. <laughs> well, we can do this by process of elimination. Like, so, which ones still have their genitals? Oh my god! <laughs> hey, Asia, there's more to a romantic relationship than sex. No, there yeah, isn't. <laughs> well, wait, let's do this logically. Okay. 
Wernicke is a no. <laughs> Chris, Chris Walker is a no. Why is Chris Walker a no? All right, because he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he has, I'd say, there are a couple of red flags about Chris Walker. I couldn't date a soldier. <laughs> well, that's, that's valid. He has... <laughs> He does have a little bit of a rage issue happening whenever he sees you, he rips your head off. I don't know yeah. about that. But uh, Chris Walker is... But you know is, what? He's the, the language good guy. of love is different for everyone, okay? <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's but like Chris praying Walker... mantis. <laughs> Do you know the thing about praying mantis, mantis is they don't actually do... They don't rip their uh, mates' heads off in the wild. They just do no. that in uh, in observation labs because they go crazy. Man, that's crazy. No, I, mean, I believe that. What? It's the same Seriously? with... Yeah. It's the same with uh, chimpanzees. They don't masturbate in the wild. That's basically something they just do when they're bored because they're kept in a cage all day. Like in a zoo. Wow. Huh. I know yep. that wolf packs, a lot of their like social dynamics are exaggerated in captivity as well. So like captivity changes. That That's a very stressful thing to do, be, even for an yeah. animal to be in prison. They're, they're supposed to be in the wild, surviving, mm -hmm. like... Uh, you can also you can always see this. It's also disappointing. This is not anything to do with Outlast, but like when you go to a zoo and you're like, I want to see the big cats. I want to see the tigers and the lions, and they're just like the cats at home. They're just sitting there sleeping because they don't need to do anything. They don't mm -hmm. need to hunt. So the food comes to them. Why would they have any energy to do anything? Did you actually yeah. like the zoo growing up? I always saw it as a prison for animals, and it made me depressed. Uh, the zoo here in Iceland is just like farm animals. It's just like cows oh. and pigs and stuff. Okay, okay. It's the I like biggest... the penguins. It's about oh, that. Penguins. Oh, wait, actually, we had seals <laughs> in the in the Icelandic zoo. Ooh. I like the seals. The navy seals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I no, it's just like baby seals and reg and grown up seals. I don't think seals have rights. I think it's okay to lock them up. <laughs> hey, sir. No, nah, I'm joking. I'm joking. But um, Chris Walker, he's uh, again, maybe memory is failing me. He's the he is a good guy, right? He's trying to prevent you no, from okay. going down. Okay, good guy is a strong word. <laughs> what? Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. I think Gideon. You were he's a lawful good guy, right? <laughs> I don't know if lawful good is the right one, but maybe lawful like neutral or evil he's <laughs> willing to do anything at any cost to keep the the you know taint of the wall rider in the asylum which means mm -hmm. killing anyone that might witness it and killing anyone that's spreading it so like yeah. he's constantly after martin because martin believes in the gospel of sand and wants to spread his you know his theology yeah. to the world which like like that's the weird thing about the wall like the project wall writers that once it's like initiated by the hormone therapy or by like a host mm -hmm. all it takes is like knowledge of the events to start transcending because you then you hear about like people in like executive boards of Merkoff getting like affected by it and then being hospitalized and it's like they had they were nowhere near they didn't know about the morphogenic engine they had no <laughs> hormone therapy they were just nearby yeah. and predisposed yeah. you know it's like kegare yeah. oh. <laughs> i'm so glad sophie isn't here so if sophie would have died <laughs> maybe that's why she didn't show you know uh. <laughs> she knew you'd mentioned kegare at least once she's like i'm not dealing with it <laughs> I'm not recording with Ezra. Not again. <laughs> not again. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to, um, let me ask you guys a question. If you were put in charge of Outlast Three, what do you do? Because I, I briefly pitched that. Oh, you just go back in time. But if you do that, you don't have the night vision camera, and mm -hmm. I think you kind of want that. Well, you can have it because it's like experimenting, you know, environment. So you have some sort of. Oh, yeah, it's not going to be a camera, but something. Yeah, they'd have to come up with new-looking batteries, but it'd be doable. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think that you definitely want to keep the identity of the night vision for the series because there's a big thing about ooh, you can't see in the dark. Mm -hmm. Ooh, there's the tension of survival horror. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I know that while I played Whistleblower, it was sort of obvious that they probably got a lot of critiques about night vision batteries being scarce because i picked like four of them up in the first <laughs> like very early portion of the game and they doubled the capacity oh. but they did something interesting with it where like halfway through you get your battery count reset and i think okay. that would work really well for a future game where yeah. 
you have the possibility of you can you you prevent stockpiling, which removes the tension element of how the batteries work. Mm -hmm. But then you reintroduce the scarcity by occasionally resetting people, which also makes those like scripted plot events even scarier because then you're being affected uh, mechanically on top of like, oh my gosh, mm. the main character mm -hmm. got grappled for ten mm -hmm. seconds while I watched, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they could do the Resident Evil 4 thing where they just sort of, um, you know, items spawn relate, sort of relative to how much you need them. That's so if you're, true. If you're really low on batteries, the game will just spawn some batteries in a drawer you haven't opened or something. That's one way they could do this. Uh, I really like... I was. This is the sequence I was talking about way, way, way at the start. I really love the sequence at the end where you, you drop your night vision camera... <laughs> Oh, that one's good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're being chased by it's, it's the twins there, right? And a couple of just other variants. I think it's like yeah. more than two people. Yeah. And like you're not really in that much danger down there, but because you don't have the camera, like it's been this crutch that you relied on all throughout the game. And now you're like, well, I don't have that now. And I just need to walk around in the dark completely blind. It's really <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. I think the asylum setting with the tight hallways mm -hmm. works really well for that because then you, you can control lighting really directly, much more than in an open field. Yeah. And you can make contrived positions where there's like beams of sunlight coming through the w walls or like, you know, lingering like emergency lights. And you can use that as like a trail of breadcrumbs for people when they don't have night vision. Yeah. So. And you can. Uh... It's very easy to just hey we want an we want to have an enemy encounter let's just add an office there with a door that opens when you walk close to it or something. Yeah. What was the main character in Outlast Two like? We've got you know nitty gritty journalist, soft boy, <laughs> software developer, and then who else? Uh, see, th this is one of those things with Outlast Two is that its story I felt was very forgettable to the yeah. point of like. I have flashes of the game begins with a helicopter crashing, scene mm -hmm. missing, you're walking around in the forest, scene missing, you're in some crazy <laughs> yeah. village, and then you're in yeah. a cave, scene yeah. missing, and then you're like walking around in a school? Oh, flashbacks, flashbacks. <laughs> oh, that, that's a flashback, right. And uh, I think there's some, wait, are you a pregnant woman in that game? No, but I think your girlfriend is. That that might be. That might be. And it's like... But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like... I think it's really... It's a very unfocused game. Uh, and yes. Like Outlast yes. 1, uh, I, I do have some misgivings about it. It's not unfocused. It really... I think it really much knows what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. really good on delivering on that. Yeah. Um, whereas Outlast 2, it's like, oh, it's cult mysticism. But also, yeah. it's like... Things from your past coming back to haunt you. Uh, you're just like, wait a minute, can can I just? And and they also do this thing of, you know, they're constantly holding answers from you from these yeah. mysteries, and they just pile on the mysteries. So at the end, they give you the answers, and it's like, okay, now I need to s sort of <laughs> scroll back eight hours yes. and try to build up everything. It's just like, you know, it's. But it's true, it did, if I remember, because you had the main character who's so memorable, I don't remember his name. Was it, weren't you a woman in that game? No, were you, you weren't. Okay. No, We've gone over this already. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you have the story of the main character about his, like, traumatic childhood, right? Which is, like, important. But also you have currently things that are happening that are also pretty traumatic. Yeah. So I feel like you have two stories that are like good, but like you don't need both of them in the same game to that intensity, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like focus on one sort of thing, explore one thing. Yeah, it was it was not focused, like you said. Yeah. Or if they have to um they they could Bioshock it, like if you want to do two stories. You could like Bioshock it or um or like Bloodborne or Demon Souls it where the story in the past is just sort of baked into your natural exploration of the world and it gradually mm -hmm. becomes revealed at the same time the story that's happening right in front of you mm -hmm. is uh <clears throat> resolving. And I think that when you do it through flashbacks, they just feel so disconnected from the rest yeah. of the experience. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. That's a very common like horror movie thing though, to like implement yeah. those backs like back back uh 
flashbacks oh my yeah. god what was that like? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah like i feel like that's a very common thing and i feel like in some ways if part of that unfocusing could have been from them just getting too deep into let's make horror game horror movie references without yeah. fully delving into what they could do with them where like the asylum was just the horror movie asylum it was <laughs> focused yeah like that structure probably makes more sense in an actual movie where <clears throat> there's a lot more liberty with playing around with editing and like the sort of stretching out time and throwing things on distinct uh, points in time together to try to tell mm -hmm. a story. Whereas with a video game, you know, the activities I'm engaging in on a minute to minute basis are just wildly disconnected from one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, you mentioned before that there were more like scripted events in Outlast 2 or that it felt that way. I yeah, think the, uh, yeah. yeah, the like really well-directed mechanical nature of the different villains of Outlast to Outlast 1 is like, that probably helps. You know, I know that there's a lot of like, what feel like scripted events where like, you know, you flip a switch and you're being chased by a guy and no matter where that guy is, mm -hmm. now he's suddenly right outside the door. So yeah. you have to hide, you know, it has mm -hmm. a lot of, there's scripted events that are, lend themselves to mechanically playing through it rather than like, oh, you got tackled by an evil scarecrow, like mash <laughs> A to defend uh. yourself. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, for Outlast 1, I feel like it's a lot more in tune with the kind of game you're normally playing. So, yes, when you flip the switch, the enemy just spawns right there to come to you. But that might also just happen organically when you're playing the game. That you're just opening a drawer and an enemy randomly hmm. walks by. Whereas, um, and I'm, like, I'm not willing to defend this statement because there's been such a long time since I really thought about Outlast 2. But for that game, I, I just have this vivid recollection that um, th the activities that were unfurling sort of around us, they didn't have, they didn't speak with the same language as the rest of the game. They, it was inelegant, as Fumito Ueda would say. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> the director of, of course, Shadow of the Colossus. Sin, did you ever play Shadow of the Colossus? Which one is that? Oh, so cringe, so cringe. <laughs> this is what I, this is what I have to deal with. Okay, is this the one where you start and there's like a grave or a something and then you have to go into the distance? Or you start in some sort of temple? And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I played like 30 seconds, got bored. Oh, lame. <laughs> Scathing critique. <laughs> <laughs> played for 30 seconds. Zero out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, the one I, where you climb giant monsters, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sin, I think you'd. Uh, I I feel like those games lend themselves really well to your. Uh, well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe they're too maybe deep not. for you. <laughs> Look, my favorite game at the moment is Ass Assassin's New Core. Vegas. <laughs> no, what do you call it? A Armored Armored, armored Core. Core. <laughs> Masterpiece, perfect game. I finished it like twelve times. Tank Jesus. build is the only true build. I love it. Hell yeah. No. We respect that so much. <laughs> <laughs> no, bipedal. Yeah, I'm obsessed with snails, like balloon pants, bipedal legs. <laughs> like, so good. The apple bottom jeans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll be right back after these messages. How are you? For many, that's a perfectly easy question to answer. But for some, it can be a heart stopper. But don't worry, we see you. We at Mount Massive Asylum know the difficulty of managing mental illness in a world that can be unforgiving to its core. That's why we, with the charitable aid of the Murkoff Corporation, have made it our goal, our mission, to help all those in dire need of it, at zero cost to the patient. Mount Massive Asylum will provide a safe and healing environment to its visitors so that when they're ready to the return to the outside world, they'll be entirely allowed to do so. We have exactly zero former Nazi scientists working with us, and we definitely are not performing torturous experiments in the basement. I don't even know why you'd ask that. So why don't you try Mount Massive Asylum today and have your fears confirmed? This message brought to you by Merkhoff Research and Development. And now... Back to the episode. Okay, so this is totally segueing into another topic entirely. But okay. I am curious, because Armored Core 6 was really fucking good, right? Yes. Like, <laughs> brilliant game. <laughs> yes. 
I uh, I also played it a lot, although partially that was mandated by my save file getting corrupted not once, but twice oh, midway God. through New Game Plus. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. And then you, then you beat it and you were like, yes, I finally beat it. And they're like, yeah, you know how you had to beat it twice? You have to beat it twice more. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> oh. It was fine. It really lends itself to replayability, so like... As, oh, like, yeah. If it had been Elden Ring, I think I would have been a bit more disappointed. But like, yeah, <laughs> if that happens in Elden Ring, you put the controller down and you come back in a couple of months. Why would yeah. anybody pick it up in the first place when it comes to Elden Ring? <laughs> hey, you know, escaping oh, hey, no. critique too. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> Maybe that's why you didn't like Shadow of the Colossus. You picked it up and you were like, "I'm a guy on a horse." Like Elden Ring. No, thank you. The same thing happened with Witcher 3. I picked it up, I played it for 30 seconds, and I'm like, I don't like it. Maybe you just don't like horses. I don't think... <laughs> Maybe. Sin just hates open world games because you have to navigate on horses. It's not Sin... the open world, couldn't be. It's the horse. Sin, Sin threatened to nuke her own channel because she did, she could not stop with Fallout New Vegas. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, this is. I have a problem. Look, Gideon, <laughs> when it comes to Fallout Three and New Vegas, also seventy six. I like once I start playing it, I literally can't stop. That gameplay loop is weirdly addictive. I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. It's it's everything. It's just such a Fallout Three is the ultimate game. Thank you, Todd <laughs> Howard. Thank um, you, I wish... Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. that's right. He's in that. He's Thank in you, that. Chandler Bing in uh, New Vegas. Oh. Here's a gamer sin. Uh, I've oh, yeah. never played New Vegas. I've never beaten it. <laughs> have you played Fallout 3? I have. I grew yeah. up on that one. Fallout 3 is fun. I yeah, love it's... the... <laughs> I just love how, like, at the end, you know, you can have this super mutant guy and you're like, hey, could you go hit those four things on the keypad for me and he's like no it is your destiny to die <laughs> fuck you <laughs> he's like no but if you pay for the dlc maybe <laughs> <laughs> literally <laughs> yeah and then he like, he's, i love his shitty attitude when he's like well you know you're really supposed to be the one that does this like todd make your game better brother <laughs> and like story-wise i think it makes a lot of sense because the whole thing is about um you know, you're like going out there and you're sort of figuring out your who you are in this world. And then you're like, you're choosing to sacrifice yourself to save the world. And it's like, yeah, it's a nice story, but you can't, you can't tell me the super mutants are immune to this and then give me a super mutant friend who can do this and just have him not want to do it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, you can also send your companion there, right? Oh, There's that's a... right. Oh, yeah, you can and kill your like, buddy. Yeah, it's so, like a low honor way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't get why I can't just send my father in there. Like, Dad, he, you left... He already died. died. <laughs> he died? Oh, I thought he died. Uh, no, that's right. That's right. What an amateur. What an amateur. Yeah, amateur Fallout <laughs> hey, no. what, what yes. was the Who was the guy who shot him? The bad guy. Oh. Oh. Yeah, yeah you amateurs. Why can't you send him, him in and be like, hey, <laughs> you do it. You do it, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Fallout, Fallout rocks, man. Fallout 3 has yeah. got... Uh, Fallout 3 is really good. Fallout New Vegas uh, is... It's a much better role-playing game, but the exploration is not as good. There's not a lot of, like... I, I wasn't as hooked to just go into the world and find things uh, as I was in Fallout 3. Mm -hmm. Bethesda's really good at that. I think that's well, what killed Starfield. it for me. Ugh. It's like, I was so used to Fallout 3, the only time I tried to play, and I just went off walking in a direction, and I was like, wow, I've been walking for like 15 minutes, there's nothing here, this really <laughs> is just a desert. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think if you follow the quest prompts and go where you're supposed to, in a mm -hmm. more RPG-ified fashion, then it definitely yeah. work better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can also definitely feel the extent to which the world design is informed by the quests because it takes place in the Mojave Desert and there's like a giant uh, road that you follow from Sasparilla Springs or whatever the hell that starting town's name <laughs> is. And you just like basically go in a big circle. You like go to the, 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 the strip and you're like just complete the loop. Go through the Hoover Dam, meet the Great Khans, meet uh, Caesar's Legion, meet everybody. 
And um, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of the map unexplored by the end of the main story. Whereas in Fallout Three, uh, you can. I think you're covering like a third, maybe half of the map by the main story, and the rest is just there for you to explore if you want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's Indeed. why you like uh, Outlast, and you just like being a guy in first-person mode, and you're just like walking <laughs> through the world. Yeah, maybe if it's an and interesting world. There's no horses world. in it. There's no horses in it. As far as you know. As far as you know. <laughs> what if they had a horse in Outlast 3, Sin? Would you hate it? Is the horse's name Ludwig? Oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, my guiding moonlight. <laughs> I think I think Ludwig would fit in pretty well in uh, that asylum. I mean, he'd be the most crazy-looking thing there, but you'd be like, oh, yeah, this is pretty normal for this place. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in the morphogenic engine a few times. And, uh... Yeah, the mu- the mutagenic ooze. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what is the mutagenic ooze? Where is that it's from, from? It's from Ninja Turtles. Is it really? Yeah, it's they were uh, when they were little guys. They were dropped in the mutagenic ooze, and it made them into the Ninja Turtles. Damn. I don't know that you were so versed in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle lore, Asia. Literally nobody knows it better than me. Ask me anything. <laughs> uh, was... <laughs> I don't know anything about it. Was the rat guy, the rat sensei, also dropped in the ooze? Or is he just like that? Is he sure. that smart? Sure. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who is the best turtle? Uh, uh, the girl one, Venus. There's a girl turtle? Yeah, they introduced her in, like, the cartoon to, like, try to... I think they were trying to get girls to watch the cartoon in the 80s. Girls were already watching it. (laughs) Well, they felt the need to introduce her. Huh. No, the best one is Michelangelo, man. He's the best one. Yes! Agreed! (laughs) That's the right answer. Did you ever read... uh, There's a great comic. I think, um... Layman and Leard, or whatever the hell the creators' names are, they sold the rights to the Ninja Turtles, but they also just have in their contract when they sold it that I think they can publish like eight Ninja Turtle stories that they write every year, and they like they don't need to get any permission or anything. So uh, okay. they just made hundreds of millions of dollars, and also they get to keep doing it whenever they feel like it. Great deal. Uh, That's an incredible yeah. exit clause. Maybe Leard and Eastman, I think their name are. Anyways, uh, they, I think they worked on this story. It's, and now the story's name is completely dropped from my mind. But basically, it happens 20 years or something in the future. And okay. there's only one Ninja Turtle left. And he has the katanas. Like, he has the katanas from Leonardo. He has Donatello's stick. He has the size. That, like, he has all the weapons. Oh, and wow. he's like, he's got a little bit of every one of their personalities. Uh, and you're like, but, but it's in black and white. I think oh. so. You can't. Uh, you can't. So you, you don't. Yeah. You don't know which one it is until the end of the uh, of the comic, where it's oh. revealed which one it is. And I'm not going to say who Spoilers. it is because I really like that one. Uh, okay, we'll check it out for sure. Uh, yeah, for sure you will. You hate the Ninja Turtles. What I had the VHSs <laughs> in the Soviet Union. I watched it in Russian. Uh, was it the same? Where it's just like one guy who narrated it like this. Definitely. <laughs> we only had the one guy. <laughs> <laughs> he was a prolific guy. Got yeah. <laughs> Did they rename the Ninja Turtles? Was it like, you know, Rasputin um, and Solzhenitsyn wait, or what whatever? was it? Super Ninja Tripashki? I think it was Super Ninja Turtles. That's so lame. Yeah. I think that's what it was. They couldn't it be was... mutated anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Or is it Tripashki? You know, I might be misremembering. It could be mutant turtles. It could be. There's no mutation in in communism. (laughs) (laughs) I may be. I may be wrong. I don't quite remember. I know the teenage part wasn't in there. It was Ah. just mutant turtles. I think they were full grown adults. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reveal something to you guys. I don't actually know that much about the Ninja Turtles. But you are one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> but he has amnesia, which explains why he doesn't know, know that much. Yeah. But And also explains why I love amnesia so much. I keep bringing it up. <laughs> We've come full circle. Yeah. Just like Outlast. Oh, yes. We've become the host. This is... 
<laughs> you know what's a great sequence is when uh, Chris Walker is about to kill you in the subterranean that area. That happens a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, the, specifically the one in the subterranean area. And then the yes. wall rider comes and just rips him to shreds. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and you're, uh, you're like, oh, well, I guess there's something else I need to worry about now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bigger fish. Like, out of the frying pan into the fire moment. Yeah. Yes. It's interesting. Okay, so the note that was that's one of the more memorable notes that you get from that event because it's like he he escaped this hell and I hope he didn't find another. Which like if you look at the way that the wall rider kills you and a lot of other characters, it like it filters into your body and then like explodes you. So like for a moment you're like meshed together. And if mm. you take the moment before Miles, like Billy dies as he's doing that to Miles, and that might be like the last part of integration that made Miles the host of like Billy's spirit or the wall rider or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like if there is this idea of going to a deeper hell, if that's not just like flavorful dialogue that they're writing, then it might be that like the wall writers victims who are already being psychologically attuned to it through like the gospel of sand and like the whispering and the hallucinations, then mm-hmm. they might be like literally being integrated into whatever like consciousness, you know, they're getting, uh, <laughs> it's like what all minds doing the people in AC6. <laughs> Um, which is weird, weird coincidence there, but sort of th- something I was thinking about after seeing it all. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, Sin, what are you doing? I'm checking an email. <laughs> Unprofessional. <laughs> yeah. That's <Okay>. valid. <laughs> valid. Listen, Wernick is like, how do I write this protocol? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sin, with your, your medical yeah. research knowledge, tell us about what a protocol is and how it applies to Outlast before we finish <laughs> up the episode. Ooh. Well, <laughs> a protocol is basically a set of procedures that you kind of write down to explain what you're going to do uh, in your study. And, you know, you have to follow the protocol, right? Mm. You can't deviate from it. That's why that's why you have it. And interestingly enough, this is something you submit to an ethics board to get your study approved. So I'm just wondering what ethics board approved the Outlast protocol? <laughs> the internal Murkoff one that doesn't talk to strangers. Yeah. <laughs> I like that though, that they're like, you know, I'm the guy who's reviewing the, <clears throat> reviewing it. I'm like on the ethic board and I'm like, okay, so you've got a bunch of former Nazis here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put a pin in that. You're doing experiments where you're forcing people to stay awake and you're just inducing lucid dreaming in them. Yeah. Ethically dubious. Let's put a pin in that. <clears throat> oh, uh... old research notes from MK Ultra are involved. <laughs> Let's put a pin in that. <laughs> Let's put a pin in that one. Uh, so uh, I'm also looking here that you're injecting people with nanomachines. Let's put a pin in that. <laughs> it just like keeps going. <laughs> Overall, great effort. <laughs> like, does the approved stamp. Yeah. <laughs> they just really liked Metal Gear. You know, the fact that uh, the Nano Machines are a Metal Gear reference sold it for them. <laughs> <laughs> Metal Gear. Um, but yeah, I think that's, uh, that's exactly an hour mark. So that's sort of a good time to finish nice. out, I think. It's been wonderful to chat about Outlast, obviously. I was very... It's such a... It's, it's a really good game. The pacing is so on point. I think, like, the way that you go from horror to walking around, letting the tension build again to horror, it's, mm-hmm. it works, especially within the interactive video game format. But Yeah, it's uh, also a good, um, it's also a good double-A success story. We don't have a lot of double-A studios left anymore. And uh, when we have, whenever we have them, like Red Pearls, it's always great to um, cherish them because they don't tend to last <laughs> that long anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. It's true. So yeah, any closing statements from you two? Where can we find your channel? Or do you have any upcoming projects? What's going on there? Oh, uh, I'm at Azure Aesthetics on YouTube and on the Twitters and such. I recently released my, I don't know when this would release, uh, but when we record this at least, I released my big Armored Core 6 video. And my next video is going to be uh, a video about Estes healing and grass healing and like just the history of he- the different healing systems in from software's games. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah. 
And uh, I'm Sin from Sinclair Lore. When Sophie and I do uh, podcasts on various things like games, anime, and stuff like that. But Sophie's been here before, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much for joining. And uh, yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again for listening, and I hope everyone had a spooky Halloween. Thank you once again to Aesir Aesthetics and Sin from Sinclair Lore for being so wonderful as to make a guest appearance. And thank you to Agaric over on r slash Elden Ring discussion, who has been a wonderful moderator. If you aren't already on the subreddit, then what are you even doing with your life? Coming up next will be an interview with Mad Luigi concerning interactivity in games, as well as the oft-announced but yet-to-be-released Elden Ring Iceberg with Aesir Aesthetics. In the meantime, why don't you go check out Aesir's Armored Core 6 video along with some of Sinclair Lore's wonderful podcast episodes. I quite liked Aguazu Needs Therapy. Thanks again for listening, and don't you dare go hollow on me.